As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I love the Raiders. Most of all, I love to win. You are now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, Deshaun Reed getting ready to talk about the Raiders offseason. We got Super Bowl coming up. But for the Raiders, the big talking point came out last week, late last week, with a story broken by Vic Tafer. Uh, Nelson Aguilar's speech after the Week 16 loss to Miami. We all remember that game. It was just a, an embarrassing, catastrophic loss. Uh, the difference in, in this season, you know, being nine and seven and possibly viewed in, in a little bit different light. And Aguilar, I think, probably expressed the feelings of uh, of the most of the fan base, how they felt after that game, from what it sounds like uh, when he went into the locker room after that game, Vic. Yeah, I mean, you hear about, you know, speeches all the time, post-game speeches, and some people thought it wasn't that big a deal, but I thought it was just because of the tone, like the fact that he addressed the team before John Gruden did, and it was kind of silence after he talked, and the things they hit on, and the lack of accountability, said some guys were selfish, and the team kind of sucked, just like, and he had played really well that game, he played well all year, but especially that game, and put him, put him in a position to win that game, so I, you could tell why he was especially frustrated, and I think... Um, to me, it speaks volumes because he's a guy's first year there. For him to kind of take on that role, and I think, like Max Crosby said later on, he's not really the loudest guy in the room, Nelson, but when he talks, people listen because he's won. He won a ring with the Eagles. So I think the whole accountability thing is a big issue. I think we heard Mike Mayak address that last week. We heard uh, uh, Nicholas Morrow brought it up at the end of the season. So I think that's definitely something people are thinking about in the locker room as far as players and coaches and the lack of uh, accountability last season. Yeah, I think it's uh, significant. You know, of course, guys get frustrated and stuff like this happens in a locker room. But it's significant because it addresses what people have been wondering about with the Raiders, why they've collapsed in the second half of the season two years in a row now. And he's a bit of an outsider. This is his first year in, and he observed that he thinks there's a lack of accountability on this team, and he, he called it out. And two, he's a free agent, and, you know, if he's truly frustrated with this team and they're interested in bring him bring him back then this might speak to his interests or it, it might show a reason why he he might not be interested in signing with this team again yeah i think that was an interesting piece about both moreau and Aguilar. 
I guess kind of the last words we hear from them speaking about accountability and, and the lack of it with the Raiders. And both of those guys, you know, with their play this season, probably set themselves up to make some decent money in free agency at least. Um, and so you would wonder if they get a, a significant offer elsewhere, would they just, you know, decide to head somewhere where they don't think those issues exist? And not that either one of those guys are, are superstars or anything, but they were pretty important players that the Raiders, I'm sure, would like to bring back. And so I think it'd be a pretty bad look for them if, if both of those guys were to leave, potentially. You know, especially if it's for offers that you would think the Raiders would be able to match. But, you know, obviously this kind of thing, is, it starts from from the top down. I think Vic kind of pointed to that in his story. You know, any kind of lack of accountability, there's really no way to, you know, not attribute that to, to John Gruden and Mike Mayock. And so that's something that they have to correct moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the sad thing is, is that you see the immediate reaction from Raider fans who I generally loved that. Aguilar did this and, and everyone immediately is we need to resign and we need this guy back you know Vic you would before you know kind of writing all this and, and kind of divulging this had been hinting and pointing to the fact that you didn't think Aguilar would likely be back didn't think that he particularly liked it here and this obviously explains why so that's the tough part is that the Raiders need somebody like this and it's very likely that they're going to have to find that somewhere else. Yeah, and I've talked to, to Nelly and his agent since the story came out. And I think, you know, obviously I'm skeptical. This is my gut feeling that he's back. But I think it's still possible because we have no idea what the cap's going to be. We have no idea what the market's going to be for Nelson Aguilar. It's a pretty good market for free agent wide receivers. So will he get like, a really good offer somewhere else? I mean, I don't think he hated it here. I think obviously he had a definitely chemistry with Derek Carr. And that is one of his best years. Definitely he showed he could be a big time receiver. So I wouldn't totally rule it out. I think we'll have to wait and see what happens with the market we got for him you know, he's a guy who last year took a gamble on himself signed the vet minimum and now he wants to you know wants it to pay off he worked really hard and he wants to get a really good offer and i think that will be the key thing for him uh, in the free agent market well now that offer is going up because he's got that leadership label attached to him so that there's that that four million dollar leadership fund right that the raiders have that they gave to, to witten this year uh, so maybe they can use some of that leadership fund what does it say though that Aguilar as a first year guy has to be the one to do this I mean I know that everybody on Twitter wants to jump on the fact that that should be Derek Carr's role Vic you wrote after the 2017 season that Derek Carr Khalil Mack when those two guys were the leader on that team and that team you know really collapsed that there were some things that they needed to improve in, in that regard three years later or whatever down the road does this say anything about Carr as a leader and and that he I mean that's not in his nature to be the guy that's going to come into a locker room and just completely rip into guys but should he I think he, I mean, does it his own way. I think he's gotten better since 2017. He mentioned this year a few times how to use his dad's voice. And I think at one point he questioned the juice in practice, I think, when that was. But I think he does that in his own way. I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy who screams top of his voice in the locker room, you know, and, and cusses guys out. But I, I think he probably has gotten better. I just think, like, maybe overall, look at the captains overall this year. And it was a quiet bunch. I mean, Rodney Hudson's very quiet. I mean, Nick Kwiatkowski's a quiet guy. I mean, somehow they made Malik Collins a captain. I'm not sure what happens with the – I mean, they say the players vote. But, I mean, who knows the player? I mean, who knows the coaches that count the votes or they pick the guys they want to pick. But Malik Collins, obviously, there wasn't much of a presence, you know, overall. So, as a captain, he's also, I guess, quiet. So, I just think that maybe they need guys who are – like, you know, they brought in Jason Witten to be a leader. But he didn't quite have the production. You need a guy who can produce both on and off the field, if that makes sense. I think they've tried – you get older guys in the past few years, and those guys are kind of maybe a little past their prime. So I need someone who makes plays on the field and whose voice is heard uh, off the field. 
I think not having incognito this year really hurt because you look at that offensive line, Colton Miller, quiet guy, Rodney Hudson, quiet guy, Gabe Jackson, quieter guy, Trent Brown. We all know what was happening there and not, not around much um, without incognito. I mean, they just didn't have a vocal presence on that offensive line. And, and we saw the way this team transformed when Kelechi assembly joined back in 2016, having a nasty guy that, that that's going to speak up on that offensive line can really change the attitude of a team it also speaks to the rest of the team do they really have to have these leaders step up and make sure they're accountable and get them together i mean i thought that they wanted to build this team with character guys that was what their rationale was when they drafted furl and abram in the first round so if that's your philosophy and you don't have enough character guys to stay accountable without having, you know, to force your leaders to be vocal guys. You know, what is the locker room culture and have they failed in putting together the locker room culture that they so, you know, that they set out to do according to their quotes? I think the other thing with this, people mentioned Derek Carr. I think when you have a guy like have this kind of moment, it doesn't always have to be yelling and shouting, but. You know, I, and I haven't been in the Raiders locker room yet, but I think guys can tell when when people get those like impassioned, you know, speeches or cursing and yelling and it's not really genuine. Like it doesn't really fit their their personality. Like you don't want to come across like you're like faking it or, or forcing it. So like some guys are just not who they are. It's not the way that they communicate. And I don't think guys would take that seriously. You know, if a, if a guy that's usually quiet as a mouse or whatever suddenly blows up, you know, I don't think that's something that you necessarily need every game. Um, I don't think it's a like a a failure if you do that you don't have that after a loss but it's nice to have i mean i guess it looks a certain kind of way when when a guy who's only been with the the team for x amount of months is the one to to do it but i mean who else on the roster you know really like we just ran it down who else is going to do that like i guess the only other guy or the next best guy i can think of that that won a super bowl that maybe had that kind of credential would be trent brown but you know he wasn't playing most of the year so he was injured the year before as well so was he going to be the one to blow up you know so it's I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that it was Aguilar. Like I don't, I don't look down on the roster that that he was the guy that that sparked up necessarily. I think they're going to need to definitely find somebody on defense who can be kind of that alpha dog. And and hey, John Gruden was talking to a, a certain free agent uh, the other day about the need for the defense to have an alpha dog. And we can talk later if we want about uh, a potential fit with Richard Sherman joining uh, back with Gus Bradley. But I think a guy that has potential to, to, to be that type on defense you know, is Max Crosby. And Vic, you talked to him the other day. You know, he had tweeted out the uh, revelation of his injuries. And if there's one thing that we've learned about Max Crosby in two years is that he's tough. I mean, we saw it on hard knocks in, in his rookie year where he breaks his hand and just says, cast it up. Let me get back out there. Even though I think a lot of us, all of us from the outside, were looking at, oh, his production's gone down. He struggled the last half of the season. Uh, you know, we, we find out after that uh, it was another year where he definitely showed his toughness. And um, toughness isn't every, isn't, you know, the only, you know, you obviously need production to go along with that. But you know, he is a guy that I think can help bring an attitude to that defense. He just can't be the best player on that defense. Yeah, I think you look at his numbers going down the second half of last season. Now it makes sense. I mean, he had a busted hand. He had like a broken uh, plate in his hand from the previous injury. And he had a torn shoulder. So he played hurt uh, for the last half of the year. So you can understand now why his numbers kind of went down. And uh, yeah, again, it shows like it is accountability. If you show up every week and you play no matter what. I mean, obviously, I think that's a good sign. He definitely can be a leader on this team. He's obviously in his second year. I think he's trying to 
serve himself into that role little by little, but it's kind of, it takes time. I think you have to feel yourself out and not come off as being fake. I think he's, he's a pretty real guy. So I definitely think he's a guy that can be a leader on, on this team in the future. Yeah, and I think even before I knew about these injuries, like seven sacks isn't a bad season for you know, a pass rusher. Obviously, he had some concerns with uh, his run defense and, and strides in Easton making that area. But, you know, when you consider how bad the rest of the pass rush was, you know, for him to almost, you know, get pretty close to having double-digit sacks through injury, I think that speaks to him being, you know, a pretty good player on his defense moving forward. And I think that does kind of set the tone um, for the rest of the locker room. Like, if this guy's playing through this or that, then I can do it too. Um, obviously, not all injuries are the same. Not everybody has the pain, same pain tolerance. But especially for a young guy that kind of sets a good example for the rest of the roster, you know, on a team that is, you know, pretty young. I still think Crosby is more of a, a secondary rusher. You don't want him to be your number one pass rusher. I think he could greatly benefit from having a real pass rusher that could challenge for over double digit sacks on the other side and an interesting comment that Gruden made on that Richard Sherman podcast was that he liked Crosby and and Furl on the outside and that they were looking for more of an interior rusher or that's going to be one of their priorities is looking for a good interior rusher obviously they they missed on Collins but um, that would be something to watch out for in uh, free agency and in the draft. All right, well, we, we've gone 14 minutes into this show, and we uh, we will talk about the Derek Carr and uh, the report that came out Tuesday. There's two sides of, of the report that the Raiders could receive phone calls on trading Derek Carr. I mean, that part of it, I think, is expected that, you know, every team receives different phone calls about different guys every year, you know, a lot more than you probably know or expect. I mean, the Rams called the the Packers about Aaron Rodgers. So that part, I mean, I I think you can understand that, yeah, teams that are looking for a quarterback and see that the Raiders have have never really, have always kind of been in this little limbo with Derek Carr, uh, might call them. Now, the idea that two first-round picks could be attached to an acquisition for Derek Carr I think we can all agree that there's no way in hell that's happening. I I mean, Matthew Stafford went to L.A., and yes, there were two first-round picks involved, but that essentially was, uh, you know, one one for Stafford and one to take on Jared Goff's contract. If he could get the Raiders two first-round picks, I think Gruden would have traded him yesterday. Yeah, if you could get two first-round draft picks for a car, then that puts hypothetical Watson trade and it makes it more realistic I mean I, I don't I don't think it's happening but if that were the case it makes it more realistic I could kind of see a team that thinks that they're quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender dropping two first round picks on Carr just uh based on the way he, he's played in the last couple of years I don't think he'll net much more than that but I mean this is a quarterback's desperate league so I think it's a little more realistic but I mean I don't think it's gonna happen but I think it it could. Yeah, I think the best argument you would have is, you know, not only, you know, Carr being, you know, a, a good quarterback, but also his contract being very team friendly. Obviously, he makes a lot of money still, but compared to some of the other quarterbacks, like a Jared Goff, for example, you know, he doesn't make that kind of a money. And so you're getting a lot more bang for your buck and, and for, you know, those better teams that are more Super Bowl ready or, or contender ready, they, they probably have, you know, a good amount of cap tied up in other players so he could be you know probably give them a higher level of quarterback play than they can get pretty much anywhere else for that price now the way these contracts are coming in and so 
you know, in a hypothetical world, you know, just in a vacuum, you know, you could see that kind of a team, you know, offering up two firsts. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But yeah, like, like Ted said, like, you know, in a, in a vacuum, like, you know, it, it's possible. It's just super unlikely, especially when you when you think about the Watson end of it, because I think for the Raiders to do that, you know, you can't just trade away Derek Carr and, you know, what roll out Marcus Mariota or Nathan Peterman. You know, you got to get some kind of quarterback back there and. With the timeline that this team is on, you know, unless you're getting like a a top three pick and you're going to get one of these, you know, star quarterbacks coming out the draft, you know, you would need to swing a deal for a, a ready starter, a veteran starter like Watson. I just don't know. You know, obviously the Raiders, they don't pick until 17th. Well, I think it's possible they could get two firsts for Carr. It, it wouldn't be a first like a like a top 10 pick being one of the first, you know, it'd be like some some late first. So. I don't know if the Texans on their end, you know, they are going to need a quarterback if they trade Watson. You know, does a, a mid to late first or even two mid to late first appeal to them, you know, compared to, you know, maybe getting the Jets offer at number number two or a Dolphins offer at number three where they can go get a quarterback immediately. You know, on their end, even if it was, you know, four first, hypothetically, like if you have an offer for three first and one of those first is a top three pick, you know, I think that kind of changes that dynamic a little bit as well. So. Just all around, it's a very, it's a long shot. Like, that's the, the point of it. And so we can debate about, you know, if, if Carl would be worth that price, but I just don't see that collectively, that kind of a deal coming together. I agree with Jimmy. I don't think you can get two firsts for Derek. And I, I don't really know if the Raiders are looking to move Derek. I think John Gruden has to be happy. He improved this year. He got better at things they want him to improve on, which he did. I think you look at their record and Willie wasn't his fault. They, I think they had that slide. And like Deshaun mentioned, the contract is very friendly. It's a, they got, it's a pay as you go. They got two years left, about 19 million a year. I think I know his side wants to talk extension, but there's no reason to do that right now. You can wait a year to do that. So I try not to pick apart people's reports. I mean, I try to stay in my own lane. I don't do a good job of it a lot of times, but. I think in this one, when was the last three-team deal in the NFL? I can't even remember when it was. So I think to predict that that could happen as far as we'll trade Carr for two picks and package those two picks to Houston for Watson, I think that's a lot. I think that's a lot to kind of uh, predict. And also, I think, obviously, Watson's got no trade clause. I, I just think um, there's, there's a lot there that, uh, to me, would make this seem kind of far-fetched in my mind. I think uh, I think they're happy with their car. I think they want to move forward and improve the defense. And they have a lot of faith in Gus Bradley to do that and get some new players in the offseason. So I think the offense in their mind is fine. Then they can definitely tinker with it, almost what happens with Nelson. But I think for them, the focus is defense. I think they're not looking to, to trade Derek Carr. And yeah, their phone may ring. Who knows? I can't predict who calls who. But I don't think they're looking to make a big move, especially with no quarterback in place behind Derek Carr. They're not looking to make Mariota the, the guy. So I think there's, you have to have someone in place that you want to be the starter if you are going to move Carr. So I, I don't think it made a lot of sense to me. For you to trade Carr, I mean, you have to bring in somebody that you perceive to be an upgrade for this to make sense for the timeline that the Raiders are on. Because, I mean, going into year four in Gruden's second stint, I mean, it's playoff time. You know, you're trying to win at a high level right now. And so you can't, like, going and getting a young developmental quarterback doesn't really make sense in that time I got, outside of the watch thing just trading car in general like if you're trading them for draft picks like you know what are you going to get that makes your team immediately better you know and i know this is a young team and they're, they're you know obviously Gruden has a 10-year contract but you know they've reached that point in this step where it's like all right we're, we're trying to make the playoffs and I, I just don't see how getting a quarterback who at least year one won't be as good as car helps you do that it just comes down to being as simple as 
I mean, the two first round picks is I, I just don't think there's any way. I mean, he's not getting more than what uh, Detroit got for for Stafford. And part of that is just I think how you have to look at how Carr is viewed around the league. He's a good quarterback. I think he's a quarterback that you can win with, with the right weapons around him, with a good defense. I mean, I, I think with a good defense and the right weapons around him, he could potentially be a, a Super Bowl type quarterback. But I mean, you you go back to. If you guys remember that that scouting report that we found in, in an opposing team's coach's booth, I think gives a, a decent view of how the league views him. He's a good quarterback, but the league knows he's a guy that's not going to take a ton of risks. And that might sound in, in, in some circles like a good thing that you're not going to take risks. You're not going to make mistakes. But, you know, a lot of times you you do need to take risks. You do need to be aggressive to to be the type of quarterback that can really lead a, a team and you know, just kind of carry a team on on your back. I don't think the league views him that way. And I think that's the type of quarterback that you would have to be for, for there to be any chance of getting two first rounders. I mean, yeah, could you maybe get a first rounder and, and something else? Uh, I think that's possible, but not getting two ones. The Raiders aren't shopping car, but I think the only way you would trade him is if you have an avenue to get Deshaun Watson. And, and the argument for pursuing Watson is you're in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and I talked to an NFL personnel guy that was a lot higher than Herbert than I expected he he said outside of Patrick Mahomes Herbert would be the the one guy that he would want on his team over every quarterback and he feels sorry for John Gruden because he has to go against uh, Mahomes and Herbert twice a year so I mean if Herbert does develop into this Mahomes light quarterback not saying he's gonna be on that level then you're gonna need a guy that in that top five tier and Watson is in that top five tier and it might cost a lot to get him initially but it does you know kind of give you a a way to compete with those top guns in, in a division if Carr does net a first round draft pick and another high draft pick would you be willing to trade that draft pick and two more first round draft picks for Watson. Overall, I mean, it seems like the rumors are the starting for Watson is three first round picks. Like if you have a deal for Watson and the Texans are saying yes, then you do whatever you have to do to do. Like we're not, nobody's saying that like, obviously you would do that. I know some fans are kind of like, oh, you can stick with our, like, come on now. Like if you, if you have a deal for Watson, you do it, but I just don't think it's a realistic path to getting there. Whether it's, you know, trading car, trading car and picks and some other stuff. Like I just don't, I just don't think they have a deal that the Texans would take over the other deals. But if they were to say yes somehow, then absolutely you do that. Because if you're the Texans, you have to trade him, I think, with somebody who has a pretty high pick this year. And you were, Sean, you were mentioning that earlier. Because, I mean, I think you figure any team that Deshaun Watson goes to is probably going to be pretty good over the next few years. So if you're getting, okay, four first-round picks, and like you said, the Raiders are at 17 right now, that's probably the highest that any of those first round picks is going to be if as good as Watson is. I mean, you're probably talking about he's getting them in the playoffs the next few years and and they're likely all those first round picks you're giving her are in the 20s. So that's why if you're the Texans, I think it, it has to be you know, the, the Jets, the Dolphins, one of those teams that has a high pick this year so that you can make sure you get some really high value out of at least one of those first rounders. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, well, let's move on. We do want to talk about uh, the upcoming ESPN 30 for 30 airing Thursday night, Al Davis versus the NFL. I think from the minute we saw this announced, all of us were interested in it. Raider fans are interested in it. And uh, we all got a chance to, to watch a screener of it and kind of get a little preview of it. And uh, I mean, it was an entertaining watch for sure. Um, dives deep into, you know, the the fierce battle between Al Davis and Pete Rozelle and and everything that went into the Raiders, their move to L.A. and their fight for trying to get a stadium in L.A. and then coming back to Oakland. And what was interesting about it, I think that probably what we're going to see a lot of uh chatter about is is the deep fake technology they used where you've got al davis and pete roselle walking around allegiant stadium and and then talking and you know they used actors and uh you know prosthetics and voice impersonators that was not my favorite part of it i mean i liked uh a lot more of the uh the old clips that they were able to dig out but i mean overall the deep fake technology was a little bit weird but uh, it didn't take away from the fact that it was uh you know an entertaining program I like that they use a fake Roselle or a, a fictional Roselle and fictional Al Davis as narrators in the story. I thought that was pretty cool, but the deep fake did look pretty weird. I mean, I, I would think that they would have the money just to create a better looking or less creepy CGI of Davis and Roselle and just have them narrate the story that way. Yeah, Twitter is going to go crazy over the deep fake. I'm sure we're going to see a ton of jokes. I love the program overall. I mean, I always knew about the history between Al Davis and, and Roselle, but some of the details that they dug out were um, pretty awesome to learn about. And it was such an FU moment when Roselle had to hand Davis that Lombardi trophy, you know, after all, all the stuff they went through. Um, so they just had a bunch of like little, you know, moments like that, that, um, that wowed me. So I enjoyed it. I think people, Raider fans are going to love it. Yeah. It's kind of a, a outsider coming in to Raiders land, I guess, this year um, or this past year. Uh, I've been trying to, like, learn as much about, like, the past as I could. And uh, obviously, I didn't get a chance to be around Al, da- Al Davis when he was around the team. But so, like, seeing stuff like this is always cool to learn more about how he was as a both as a coach and a, a general manager and an owner and kind of his battles with the league and kind of the Raiders' heyday. But, yeah, the CGI, CGI thing was just super weird. Like, it, it kind of made me uncomfortable. I was telling Vic, like, <laughs> It was really strange, but outside of that, like it's always good just to learn more about the history and get more context into you know how things played out into what they are today. And it was also cool hearing from from Mark Davis, you know, kind of his brief appearances and, and getting his insight on you know kind of continuing his his father's legacy into today. I think if you're an Al Davis fan, you're gonna really enjoy the program. I think if he comes off looking pretty good, I think he obviously. Uh, his legacy took some hits in the last you know, decade or so. I think uh, he had a rough last few seasons with the Raiders. And, uh, but I just think you, you, you can see the swagger. You see the why he was such a badass back in his day and how 
the whole Raider Mystique, kind of how it was born. So I think that part's really cool. He mentioned some great clips and some great things I didn't know about. And there's even some things with the and the voiceovers I thought was interesting, but I agree. I thought the technology was a little weird. I thought it was weird to going back from the actual clips of the two guys to the fake guys. Now, sometimes I kind of got confused, but I give the director, Ken Rogers, props. And definitely a very creative approach. Definitely a different way to get into the story. And I like how it took place at the stadium. Like That was a nice way to kind of wrap things up because obviously this thing that I was chasing all these years, his son finally got. So I thought it was a cool uh, setting to have the whole thing take place in. But um, overall, I thought it was good. I thought it was uh, like... like 80 minutes, very, I think you learn a lot of stuff and some really good moments. Uh, not great, but uh, but good. Yeah, I think for, you know, the younger generation of Raider fans, it'll be good. I mean, you know, Vic, you were the only one of us that was alive for the whole uh, Al Davis. Big battles there. Uh, but I mean, weird thing about, you know, the Raiders is it really your age kind of determines a lot of different things with them. I mean, yeah, I was born when the Raiders were already, you know, born in the Bay Area when the Raiders were, or had already, they had just moved down to L.A. So, you know, I grew up, Raiders weren't around here. You know, for you, Ted, you you probably were coming into football as as they were coming back, I would think. Tashawn, were you even born when they moved back to Oakland? Uh, I don't think so. I was born in 96. <laughs> Okay, yeah, 95. So it is weird that like, you know, kind of where when you were born, when you started following football kind of places where the Raiders were, I mean, and now obviously they're in Vegas. So I mean, it will be a good learning opportunity for some of the younger Raider fans just to see everything that that kind of went into their history as being this nomadic franchise. I remember learning about Al Davis suing the league and everything just through uh, my aunt who gave me an update when I, I was a kid about the Raiders. She just said, I don't like Al Davis. He sues everybody. So that's how I got introduced to this whole thing. So it was cool seeing the details. I picked out a few a few details from the documentary that I had no idea about. One, Al Davis bought the Raiders for $18,000. <laughs> Two, Pete Rozelle's name mysteriously disappeared from the field after the Raiders practiced on it. And three, uh, Rozelle got a subpoena from Al Davis in the middle of his Super Bowl press conference. Can you imagine if Twitter was around for that? <laughs> I mean, what about the Chargers owner uh, having a heart attack after having to uh, appear in court? God, I mean, that was, I didn't know that. And then he sued Al Davis for giving him a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, I mean, this is just stuff that you can't even imagine happening nowadays. But, uh, you know, I think one other thing that people are going to glob onto, and it's, it's not a, you know, it's a line that comes up in the show and it's not, you know, for, I think a lot of Raider fans, it's not anything that they haven't heard a million times before, but um, I'm sure we're going to hear people glob on to that, that scene when you've got Al talking so derived, you know, derogatory about the idea of we're going to take what they, you know, Oh, we're going to take what the defense gives us. And like, no, we're going to, we're going to take what we want. And I think that's, that's one thing that, uh, that is a criticism that comes up, uh, about today's Raiders that, uh, I, I think will probably be, uh, refreshed when people watch that scene. Yeah. Somehow John Gruden and Derek Carr are going to catch strays from Al Davis documentary. All right, guys, let's take a few questions here before we get out of here. We will start with this from, uh, Jeffrey H. Thanks for all of your great work. Richard Sherman told Gruden he's available and he seemed very attracted to the idea. Do you see Sherman and maybe Earl Thomas as low risk, high reward secondary options? I know Thomas had issues, but could be cheap and easy to walk away from if needed. Or is this a recipe for disaster? I don't think Sherman is necessarily a a, a low risk. Uh, I mean, he's basically already said that the Niners can't afford him. Uh, I don't I don't think he's 
looking for a contract that's going to be at much of a discount. So he's going to be a $10 million plus dollar player. Really? $10 million a year? Yeah, I don't know if we get that high, but I think he Oof. he's not going to be what Earl Thomas would be, I don't think. Like, I think Richard Sherman steps in. He's, he's probably their best corner. Um, but I just don't know. If, I think he kind of gets in the way of what you're trying to do long term. Like, obviously, you don't want... Uh, I don't think Trayvon Mullen would lose snaps, but he would most more so get in the way of Damon Arnett. Um, you know, him coming off a rookie year where he really didn't play much, you know, as a mix of injuries and, and COVID and, and all that. I, th- I think you kind of want to see what you have in him to know if you need to go get somebody else moving forward. And he ha- if he has the potential to step outside and, and be that starter that you thought he was going to be when you drafted him 19th overall, I think, you know, just spending money, big money on a cornerback, I don't think make mu- makes much sense. You know, considering what they've invested in in draft capital in, in Mullen and Arnett, I think safety would be more so a position where I'd be willing to take on an older guy. You know, I think they need more of a guy in his prime. But you know, if they strike out on the big name, you know, free safeties, and you know, let's say maybe they draft a young safety and, and think they may need some insurance. You know, maybe Earl Thomas is a guy you would look to bring in, or some other kind of veteran, you know, safety who, who may not be on a huge money deal that can step in and be a, a quality starter. I don't think Sherman really fits with what they're trying to do at cornerback, but I think, you know, safety, I think that Earl Thomas, will, if, if I had to choose between the two, I would, even though Thomas is, you know, off the field, a, you know, a whole other story, but, you know, if he's able to get that together, I think he would make more sense just from a, a football standpoint. Those are all good logical points, but uh, watching that video of John last night, had that look in his eye, man. I've seen that look before. That was a Jason Witten look. Like, talking <laughs> about alpha males and uh, we could talk about this and the, the cover three and we need a guy. I mean, he was pretty fired up just sitting there in a freaking podcast. Um, so I, I imagine the price tag ideally will matter somewhat, but it probably doesn't. If John really wants him to feel he's the guy that can kind of give them that veteran jolt, then I think uh, we very well could be seeing Richard Sherman in, in silver and black. How much is Gruden getting fined? Are they getting doctor draft pick for tampering there? Yeah, oh, that's a good question. Was that tampering or was that like a polite fondling? I don't know what that was, but I don't know if we can, if that really was tampering. I'm like, well, if you're available. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I heard you might be a free agent. I'm like, no, he is a yeah, free he agent. Might. <laughs> we could use a guy like. It's like, no, he is. Like, he is available. The funny thing is, Chris Collinsworth was warning him about tampering right before he started tampering. So <laughs> He didn't care. Uh, and he was selling him hard, too. He was like, oh, we got Gus Bradley. Not only do we got Gus Bradley, we got this coach and that coach from the Seattle coaching tree and all that. So I don't think it would be a good move to bring in, bring in Sherman. Sherman's definitely showing signs of aging. And um, for a corner, that is really bad. And, and like Todd said, you already invested a first-round draft pick in Arnett, a second-round draft pick in, in Mullen, and now you're going to invest your limited cap space on uh, on a corner when you really need a pass rusher. It's just not a wise move. You definitely need a free safety, but reading everything that we've or learning everything that we've learned about Earl Thomas and why he fell out of favor in Baltimore, I, I don't think you know that's the type of player that they want in uh, in that locker room. All right, we're going to combine these two questions here from Kyle H and Gennaro C. Uh, Kyle says, "I like the idea of the Raiders targeting a few guys like Sherman. I think back recently to the additions of Charles Woodson and Justin Tuck as veteran voices who could still contribute. Outside of Sherman, do you have any other names that you think could fit that mold?" And Gennaro, kind of on the same tone, uh, we all know Gruden loves vets. Any candidates to be veteran leadership free agents this off season? Frank Gore, Sean Lee says, "I kid, but not really." 
Why not bring in Frank Gore? Let him uh, play till he's 40. Anybody else that, uh, that you guys have in mind that could grab that leadership fund, as Vic termed it? I think Mark Ingram, I think, uh, to me, I saw him available. It makes sense. He's a backup uh, running back. I don't think it costs too much. Definitely it seems like a big-time leader type. I think he has a history with Josh Jacobs uh, from being out from Alabama. So that's a guy I first saw that like, might make sense. I mean, they seem to bring in new backup running backs every year for not too much money. I think he would uh, probably still have some juice left. I'm not sure. I don't really watch him too carefully last year. But I think he has some juice left. And I think, again, he'd be a big presence in, in the locker room. Yeah, I'm done with the uh, the leadership fund. I say just use that on a good young player. All right, well, that brings us to our final question. Uh, we'll going to Twitter for this one from The Godfather. What is one defensive free agent signing that can take the Raiders team from average to really good? I guess he's saying that the team as a whole is average because obviously that defense is not average. So this is probably where the leadership fund should go, right? Just pull it in with the regular free agent fund. And who is one defensive free agent that can actually I know Vic you've touted that through free agency in the draft they need to add two players at least that become the best two players on their defense at 17 I don't know that you are able to draft a guy that is the best guy but is there a, a free agent that you like that uh, can be the best guy on this defense I think we've talked about Melvin Ingram in the past. He makes a little bit of sense. He has a history with Gus Bradley. I think he's still got hopefully some juice left. But we're talking about Watson a lot today, and I think everyone's talking if the Texans, if they do trade Watson at some point. To me, if they trade Watson, that has to mean that J.J. Watt's next, right? J.J. Watt's not going to stick around. So what we'll take, he's in last year of his contract. It would probably take, what, second-round pick maybe to get him? I could see John Gruden going on with all the Holly Long comparisons and going crazy. So I would think J.J. Watt could make sense at the right price if it's a second-round pick, pick or lower if the Texans really do uh, get rid of Watson. I would probably, in free agency, I really like Justin Simmons at the free safety spot. I've said it before, but I think, you know, whether it's maybe not getting one big name guy, although we have to see somebody might fall at 17, but if they can get, you know, a couple young pass rushers in the draft or one in the draft and, and, and one kind of mid-level guy in free agency, I think that could, you know, give them a boost in terms of that area. So I think just one big money free agent, I think uh, Simmons you know, at the free safety spot, you know, he would really compliment Abram well, I think, kind of with him being, you know, really good in coverage, but also being able to give run support. And, you know, if you're going to continue to let Abram run around and take those risks and give you more of a cover on that back end, more so than obviously Eric Harris or, or Jeff Heath did last year. You know, I think he'll be hard to pry away from the Broncos, especially in the division. So if not him, I also like John Johnson from the from the Rams. You know, kind of filling up that same role. I don't think he's as good as Simmons, but he's not far behind. So I think either one of those two guys filling out that back end, which is still really young and probably going to have some more growing pains next year. I think you need a kind of a rock to kind of build around and, and shore up that pass coverage. You have to get a free agent pass rusher over any other position. You you have to get a pass rusher, and then after you get that pass rusher, see what you can get in the secondary. So I think. Bud Dupree would be my number one. He's a young pass rusher. He is coming off injury, so you do have to check on the status with his recovery. He's kind of in that Melvin Ingram role where he could play a little linebacker if you need him to. He's from a 3-4, but Gus Bradley runs a lot more 3-4 fronts than people think. So you you have to get a guy like a, a proven pass rusher, and then you have to add another guy, you know, maybe a cheaper free agent or through the draft to that defensive line. I think you can't go in 
to the draft hoping to find a, a pass rusher that could get you 10 sacks because it's just not going to work out. And you have to get pretty lucky to do that in this year's draft with the 17th pick. So Bud Dupree's my number one guy. I think he just makes your defensive line much better. He, I think he makes Crosby better as a secondary rusher. You could kick Furl inside and have him rush more, and he, he's shown he could effectively do that. So Dupree or Ingram would be my top two free agent targets. All right, before we get out of here, let's make uh, quick Super Bowl picks. Uh, Chiefs uh, on bet MGM or minus three and a half. Vic, what do you got there? You, you want to preview what you're going to have in Vic's picks for us? Sure, I'm just going with the whole uh, team of di- destiny thing. I'm going with uh, Tom Brady. I'm not sure exactly why. Obviously, the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes are pretty incredible offensively, but I think they have some injuries in the O-line. I think that's going to be a problem. I like the Bucks uh, front four. I think Tom Brady just uh, somehow, some way gets it done. So I'm going with the Bucks uh, plus the point. I like the under action more than the Bucks, but those are my two plays. Yeah, I have the Chiefs winning. Have all my my friends and family back in Missouri happy for that one. I think he's. Uh, I think they got too much. I think they'll be able to get to to Brady and kind of shake him up a little bit. And uh, he hasn't looked. I mean. I know the quarterback always gets all the shine in the playoffs, but he really hasn't played that well. And, and you know, and I think it's you know it's understandable he's forty three years old, but yeah, you know, I don't think he's playing at a high enough rate to keep up with with Mahomes and that Chief offense. So I think they they pull away late. I keep going back and forth because the Chiefs' offensive line is unbelievably beat up, and the Bucks have a pretty good four man pass rush. And last year the Niners had a hold on Mahomes for most of that game. And if Jimmy Garoppolo makes one or two throws in, in the fourth quarter, the Niners would have won that game. I think Tom Brady would make is going to make those throws in the fourth quarter. But it's so hard picking against Mahomes. I think if they could find a way to slow down the pass rush or get that pass rush tired, he could be effective in the fourth quarter. But it's going to be a difficult challenge overcoming that four-man pass rush with that offensive line. So right now, I think I got the, the Bucks edging out the Chiefs. All right, we'll go an even split, uh, two Bucks picks, two Chiefs picks. I got the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, I think, is the best player in football. And uh, in a close matchup, I go with the best player in football. So Patrick Mahomes, I mean, they also got the best tight end in football. Chiefs win back-to-back titles, which is uh, pretty damn incredible to do in this uh, in this league right now. So uh, we'll see if they get it done. But I don't think Raider fans want to hear us talk much more about that game. Uh, Tom Brady against the Chiefs is not a, not a Super Bowl they want to enjoy. That's why we saved this for the end. You guys have probably clicked off by now, but... I got one more thing. I just want to do a shout out to uh, Tom Flores. Like he makes the Hall of Fame this weekend. I know Deshaun talked to him. I think that uh, Tom's a great guy. I think he deserves to get in a, a while back. So I think I'm pretty happy for him to finally get in. Yeah, I just got on on the phone with him this morning, and uh, he sounded pretty. We'll see how that plays out Saturday. But I, you know, like Vic said, I, I have a pretty good feeling that he's gonna get enshrined finally this time. It shouldn't have took, taken this long for somebody that. You know, broke the barriers he did and, and you know, one of the few ch- coaches who, who won multiple Super Bowls not to be in, you know, so it's well past time for him to be in there. Get him enshrined while, while he's around to enjoy it. I mean, that's I think that's always been the complaint about Ken Stabler is after he unfortunately passed. That's when he got enshrined and that, uh, you know, o- always bugged Raider fans and, and I think his family and rightfully so. So uh, let's get Tom in while he has a chance to enjoy it. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. We'll be back some point after the Super Bowl. 
who knows? Raiders, you know, are going to trade Derek Carr for three first round picks, <laughs> and then we'll uh, we'll have a, an emergency podcast and break down who they're going to get with uh, with the Jags' number one overall pick that they got for Derek Carr. And, all right, guys, we'll talk to you uh, some point later in this offseason. Later, adios. All right, Joe.